it's imperative that we understand that the topic for today as it deals with rewards as we continue this series, um, there's plenty of seats up front. I don't know what it is. I don't really, I have no idea what's going on. But I'm sure out of love somebody will tell me later what the problem is. But there's, there's, or if you don't like me, it's your opportunity to let me know. Uh, it's imperative, though, as we, at, uh, we understand as we continue the series on rewards that uh, today's topic is for those who are on what we call God's team. The question then arises is how do you get on God's team? Well, there are a lot of us who are running around with uh, uh, rules or guidelines that we've made up that we believe puts us on God's team. We've developed a mindset like uh, small children, so to speak, that if you've ever seen children that want to play a game, it's like, okay, I'll play as long as I can play left field. Or I'll play as long as I'm point guard, or as long as I'm going to play three out of four quarters, I'll play. Or as we get a little older and we get a little wiser, we say things like, okay, I'll go as long as I don't have to have any fun. <laughs> okay, well, we'll go see the relatives as long as I don't have to stay very long. So the mindset continues on through life. So there are a lot of us who are saying, okay, I'm on God's team, but we've decided what the rules and the regulations are. And it's like the story of a fellow who went off to the army and he learned marksmanship. It says that he came back, he won a medal for it, and came home on leave and he was very proud. Well, when he got to the edge of the city of this town, he saw a wall and on the wall were dozens of bullseyes with the bullseye shot out of the middle of it. He was fascinated by it because he just spent several years in the army learning marksmanship and he couldn't believe that anybody could be this good a shot. So he went into town and he said, who was it that shot those bullseyes at the edge of town on that wall out there? And the, and the people in the town said, well, is this uh, young boy who lives down the street? He said, well, what's his name? So he went to visit him. And as he got there, he knocked on the door and said, is Michael there? And uh, his parents said, well, just a minute, let me get him for you. And then Michael came to the door. Michael was six years old. And he looked at Michael and he said, Michael, did you, are you the one out at the edge of the town that the bullseyes? And uh, he goes, yeah. He goes, I don't, I mean, you couldn't have been practicing very long. You're only six years old. How did you do it? He said, well, let me go show you. I'll go get my gun. And he went out and he got his gun and he brought it back. He said, I just take this gun and then I just aim it at the wall. I would shoot. And after I would shoot, I'd walk up with this chalk and I'd make a bullseye. And I just kind of did it. And he said, it's really not that hard. <laughs> the way I see it, anybody could do it. And so, you know, I thought about that, and a lot of us are like that. It's like, we decide what the rules and the guidelines will be to get on God's team. You know what I mean? It's like, well, I think to be on God's team, you should do this, 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 and this. And so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to shoot it at the wall, and then I'll go and I'll circle it, and that'll be it. But see, the problem is it's God's team. So guess what? He establishes the rules. It's God's program. He decides what the policies are and what the guidelines are. So as we're wrestling with the question of what is, it, what is required of us to be on God's team? What's the entrance fee, so to speak, to get on God's team? You've got to remember that this whole series on rewards is dealing with the subject or topic that has to do with those who are on God's team. The question is, how do you get on God's team? We're wrestling with, and a lot of us come out of a background where works are the, the key. If you do this, 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 and this, then you're on God's team. The problem is, the Bible doesn't teach it. And so we, at Calvary Church, or here in Kindred Fellowship, we don't teach it either. 
Because the Bible doesn't say, if we do this, 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 and this, we're on God's team. God makes up the rules. It's His program. And what He has to say, very simply, is this. That to get on God's team, if you remember the crowd that asked Jesus, what do you do to do the works of God? He said, hey, to do the works of God, you must believe on Him in whom He has sent. Saying, if you want to be on God's team, then all you've got to do is believe that I am who I say that I am. That I am God in human flesh. You think, well, that doesn't sound too hard to me. Just believe that Jesus Christ is God. But when you really stop and think about what Jesus was saying to believe, what He was saying that we needed to believe was that He was God in human flesh who was born of a virgin, that it was predicted centuries beforehand that it would take place, that He came and He was born of a virgin, therefore He, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, was not born with a sin nature. He did not sin. He lived a perfect and holy life. That He went to the cross to die for your sins and for my sins. And that three days after He shed His blood on the cross, after He was buried, He came out of the grave to boldly proclaim that not only was He God and that He conquered death, but He was also, because He could conquer death, able to forgive us of our sins. See, when Jesus said, all you've got to do is believe in that, it's a lot more profound than we'd like to think that it is. God in human flesh, dying for our sins. 1,900 years ago, He is saying to me and you, if you want to be on my, my team, you need to believe that what Jesus Christ did on the cross 1,900 years ago was sufficient for the sins of humanity from the beginning of time till that time until the end of time, that it was one time He shed His blood and it was for all. We need to put our faith and trust in that one simple thing. But it's so simple that it's so complex. God says He chose the simple things of the world in 1 Corinthians to confound the wise. Putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The Bible says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things that are not seen. And without faith it is impossible to please God. Therefore, if you have never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, what we have to talk about this morning is not for you. It's putting the cart before the horse. But if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and you are on God's team, then the question is, well, what happens when you cross that threshold? Now, as I see it, there are three camps. And the first camp is this. There are people who believe that once you've made this confession of faith, that you can continue to go on living any way that you want to live. I've said the prayer, I've prayed the prayer, i signed the card, I checked the box, um, I said I put my faith and trust in Christ, now I can just go about my life any way that I want and just keep doing all the things that I was doing before. So that's the first school of thought of those who say they have crossed the threshold. The problem is the Bible doesn't teach that either. Turn with me for a moment to Romans chapter 6. What does the Bible teach? If you've put your faith and trust in Christ, is there something required of you after that point? Up to that point, it's by grace you're saved through faith. Not of works, there's nothing you can do. But what happens after you put your faith and trust in Christ? The Apostle Paul was wrestling with it to the Romans when they were going around saying that, boy, you know what, the way we understand it is that when there's sin in the world, God's grace is sufficient. And when there's more sin, God's grace is even more sufficient. So therefore, let's continue to sin so that God's grace may be abounding all around us. And he said in, in uh, Romans 6, starting with verse 1, he said, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace might increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? 
Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Jesus Christ have been baptized into his death? Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we might, we too might walk, we might walk in newness of life. He's saying if you have crossed the threshold and you've put your faith and trust in Christ, guess what? There is something now required of you and that is that if you have died to sin, how in the world can you continue to live in it? You see the question? The contradiction is there are a lot of people running around today that say they're Christians. Not hard to say, I'm a Christian. They may not know what it means to be a Christian or they may even know all the jargon and the lingo because, you know, we born again, oh, I've been born again. Oh, great, okay. Or, yeah, I prayed that prayer. I remember I went to the thing when I was in high school. I prayed a prayer. Oh, great, okay. Well, how are you living, brother? See, how can you continue to live in sin if you have, been, if you have died to sin? How can you continue to live any way you want to if you already died to sin? See, what God is saying that, you know what? You can't. I had a gentleman come up to me and say, boy, you know what? The more I read the Bible, the more confusing that it gets. I said, what do you mean? He goes, because here we are in this whole series, you keep saying it's by grace you're saved through faith and it's not of yourself, it's nothing you can do, it's a gift of God that if you put your faith and trust in Christ, then, you, then God accepts you and He receives you. And I said, yeah, well, what's the problem? He goes, but then I read in the book of James that it says that faith without works is dead. That unless you're living a life that's pleasing to God, that faith works, faith works. How do you, how do you reconcile the two? Well, the Bible's very clear that if you have died to sin then your life will change. All things be, are old, all things become new. There should be a change in your life, in your desires, in the direction, in the way that you go. Do you realize the Bible never guarantees anybody who's not living a lifestyle that is pleasing to God, never guarantees that you're assured of your salvation. In fact, even in Revelation 21, Jesus said to him who overcomes, all of these things are promised to him. Those who practice such things will never inherit the kingdom of God. The Bible never guarantees you and I, if we continue to live any way that pleases us, that we have been reconciled to God and that we have any right to say that we're saved. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches that when you put your faith and trust in Christ, that your life should change, your desire should change, you want to please God, you want to live a life that's pleasing to Him, and it should be evident to people around us. Does it mean Christians don't sin? No, regretfully they do, but God's allowed a provision for that when He says if we, if we confess our sins, He'll forgive us our sins and He'll cleanse us from unrighteousness. But the bottom line is that if you don't have fruit in your life, how many of you wrestle with relatives that it's like, well, I think they know the Lord. It's like, not that. It's like, I, I hope that they know the Lord. Or it's like, every time I talk to them about the Lord, they have a real problem with it and they have a bad attitude about it. So... I don't really want to discuss it anymore or deal with it anymore. I hope that they know the Lord. See, this time of year, we get all that all the time. And so, you know what the Bible is saying? If there is no fruit hanging from that tree, brother and sister, and there's no evidence of any change in their life, ladies and gentlemen, then you and I are being deceived into believing a lie of the pit of hell that we do not have to share with them, we do not have to confront them with the truth because the truth is uncomfortable, we don't like to deal with it, we don't want to deal with it, so let's just turn them over to God and say, I sure hope that they're saved. You see the logic? If there's no fruit, then they're not saved. That's the teaching of the Bible. Mark chapter 4, the sower and the seed. Hey, listen, you know what? There are people that receive the word gladly. They run around saying, that's the best thing I ever heard. That's great news. That's wonderful. I think that's, that is great. Yeah, I want to pray that prayer. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Hey, fine. You know what? Let me see some life change. 
See, that's what the Bible teaches. How are you living your life? That's what the confusion over faith and works is because a lot of us are running around saying that we're Christians. You follow that? A lot of us run around saying we're Christians. We don't see any evidence in their life, so it's like, are they a Christian? Then I must be a Christian because we all live the same way. Oh, great. Romans 6 says, hey, you know what? If you've died to sin, you can't keep living in it. And if you're living in it and it doesn't bother you, then you never die to it. And you better, as 1 Corinthians 15 says, you better examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. You better read this book to find out if your life lives up to the measure or standard that says that you are a Christian. See, this whole studying rewards comes across a lot of different issues, doesn't it? We can't talk about rewards for God's people without making sure we're one of God's people. Romans 6. Now there's another group, okay? The first group says there's no consequence. I put my faith and trust in Christ and it doesn't matter how I live. Now the second group says, oh, but there is a, pri there is a consequence. If I put my faith and trust in Christ, then God demands and expects me to live a certain way. But you know what he says? If you do it, then you're going to have a ton of blessings here and now. Watch Christian television. Get a satellite and tune into some of the stations that are so-called Christian TV. The, the prosperity gospel of the 80s. That says this, okay, I put my faith and trust in Christ, I live a life pleasing to God, and I'm doing it because He's going to return to me 18.5% after taxes. And if I put my faith and trust in Christ, and if I do this, 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 and this according to what the Bible teaches, then God's going to bless me and it's going to be better than, and maybe not as quite as good as maybe a real estate portfolio in a hot upside market like Southern California, but it's not as bad as, a, and it's better than Oklahoma market. And if I just do this and God's going to bless me and He's going to give me a return and it's going to be better than after taxes or even before taxes, my yield's going to be a lot higher. So I'm going to serve God because He's going to bless me here and now, and that's the reason I'm going to do it. Isn't that a good idea? Problem is, Bible doesn't teach that either. Christian television does. Bible doesn't. But Christian TV does. Why? I think maybe there's like an ulterior motive behind it. Sure is nice to hear that, isn't it? Wouldn't you like to know that everything you do for the Lord today, He's going to bless you tomorrow for it? Do you realize our society has gotten to the point, how many, oh, we've already gone through this once, I know you're going to ask again. Um, commission type businesses, do you know what, you know what they're teaching uh, business people today in corporations? If you, t if you pay out a bonus, don't wait so long to pay it out. See, if you used to pay out like a semi-annual bonus, what you want to do is start paying out quarterly bonuses. Or if you've been paying out quarterly bonus, what you want to do is pay out monthly bonuses. Because you don't want to have people wait too long to get their reward for their performance. Because we can't wait anymore. And if you don't start paying them sooner, then they're going to go find another place to work that pays sooner for the work that they did today because they don't want to wait for it. See, that's the mindset of the day. So if you're in that kind of business, you don't you see if it's not true. Would you rather wait for an annual bonus? Or would you rather be paid quarterly? And if you're paying quarterly, wouldn't you rather be paid monthly? If you're paid monthly, wouldn't you rather be paid weekly? I mean, why wait at all if we don't have to? See, so we think God's the same way. Hey, God, what is this waiting for? You know, when, when Jesus Christ returns, He's going to bring His reward. I don't want to wait for His reward then. I want His reward now. The problem is that Jesus said that anything you give up today, He's going to return a hundredfold. Now the question in the new equation is, according to the Bible, if you have a job that's paying out a quarterly bonus, okay, let's assume that they pay out mm, 10%. Okay? You're going to get a quarterly bonus, 
Jesus says, you know what? I'm going to give you a bonus. It's going to be 400%. When I pay it out, it'll be 400% versus 10%. And it'll be inexhaustible as opposed to being disposable. See, God's equation changes a little bit. Now the question I have for you is, would you wait for Jesus Christ's return and his rewards that he'll bring with him for 400% that's inexhaustible, that'll never perish, that'll last through eternity, or would you rather have the reward here and now at 10%? What happens? See, it's a matter of trusting in God, isn't it? Uh, you really sure about that 400% inexhaustible? Are you sure about that? If not, I know I can get it immediately for 10% and that's sounding pretty good right now. See, we live in a society that's, that sacrifices tomorrow on the altar of today. We are continually taught that. We are continually programmed that way. The Bible is radically different. It says, defer it, delay it, and you'll have it then, and it'll last forever. That's really the choice. So that's the kind of people that we're dealing with. Now what we need to do is uh, take a look at a couple of things, and I want to th throw out something that's really been bothering a lot of people. The Bible says in Hebrews 6.10, God is not unjust as to forget your work and labor of love which you performed on the behalf of the saints and, and continue to perform today. As we go through it, it's a promise of God He will reward us. We've been wrestling with why there's nothing in this box for two weeks now. And we've also been wrestling with is it okay to look forward to rewards? I'm just going to share something with you this morning that as I read through it and understood it, it just blew me away. It is unbelievable, but I want to share with you a little background first. Jo Dr. John MacArthur in his commentary in the book of Matthew, listen to this statement, and I'll use it as an introduction to what I want to talk about. He says, We often hear and perhaps attempt to think that it is unspiritual and crass to serve God for the sake of rewards. But that's one of the motives that God himself gives for serving him. We, first of all, serve and obey Christ because we love Him, just as on earth He loved and obeyed the Father because He loved Him. But this was also because of the joy set before Him that Christ Himself endured the cross, despising the shame. It is neither selfish nor unspiritual to do the Lord's work for a motive that He Himself gives and has followed. This morning we're going to talk about how to earn God's rewards. But if you go in with the preconception that it is wrong to earn the rewards of God for anything other than to serve Him and no selfish, quote, selfish desires, I want you to look at something with me and think about this very carefully. Hebrews chapter 12. I don't know about you, but when I'm sharing this with you right now, my mind goes back to the numerous struggles. I can go back and figure out the numerous Hebrews chapter 12, listen to verses 1 and 2. It says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, Okay, listen to me. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. 
Listen very carefully because if you don't, it's going to be really confusing. Why did Jesus Christ endure the cross? For the joy, listen, right? For the joy that was set before Him. Was there any joy in the cross? No. How do we know that? It says He endured the cross. He put up with the cross for the joy that was set before Him. Listen to me close. He endured the cross. To endure the cross was nothing fun. You got it? There's nothing fun about it. The cross was an ugly tool that the Roman government used to persecute any offender. Jesus, in the night before He was crucified, in the garden said this, Father, if there is any way, let this cup pass before Me. Yet not My will be done, God, but Yours. If there was any way possible, yet this cup pass from Me. I don't want to go through this necessarily. I don't want to do it. The way that it looks... The things that will take place are ugly. To bear the sins of humanity on His shoulders on the cross was not a pretty sight. And it wasn't something that Jesus Christ looked forward to, quote, in His humanity, but realized the importance of it in His divinity. He endured the cross. The shame. He despised the shame. He was crucified alongside of a road where people could come by and ridicule Him. He was mocked by the guards. He was mocked by the thief next to Him and said, if you're really God, why don't you save yourself and save us also? They gambled for His clothes. They spit at Him. They beat on Him. They mocked Him. They blindfolded Him and they played little games with Him. And they would smack Him and say, if you're really God, why don't you tell us who just punched you? They spit on Him. They mocked him. They beat him. They crowned him with thorns. They beat him to a pulp. And the Bible says that the motivation was for the joy that was set before him. Listen to me, folks. Are you willing to despise the shame? Are you willing to despise the shame in serving God today for the joy that is set before you and I? See, he looked down upon the shame. He despised the shame. He didn't think the shame was enough to keep him from what he, wanted to, what he had to do and what he wanted to do. Do you realize that if it was up to the vote of all the disciples, they all said, hey, let's do it another way. If you remember, he even had to rebuke Peter one time and say, wait, Peter, you've got your mindset on man and not on God. You want to do things man's way and not God's way. And if they would have taken a vote, they would have never let him go to the cross the way that he did. That was not what they wanted to see happen. Jesus struggled with the cross. Not because He didn't know it was the right thing to do, but because he, dis he despised the shame. The shame of being alongside of the road. The shame of being ridiculed and persecuted and put to death. Well, I'll lay it all aside because the reward and the joy that's set before me is going to be greater than anything I could ever imagine and anything that could be offered here and today. Do you follow what I'm saying? The motivation was because of what he knew was happening in the future. Look at Philippians chapter 2. What was the joy? Philippians chapter 2. 
What was the reward? Look at verse 5. Philippians 2, starting with verse 5. And it is the example that we are to follow in our lives today. Even in Hebrews 12.1 it says, and, uh, that we may endure. Let us run with endurance the road that is set before us. Despise the shame. Don't worry about the ridicule. Who cares what people say and think? You want to please God or don't you want to please God? Do you want to earn a reward or don't you want to earn a reward? Because the world around you is teaching you, hey, don't wait till then. You can have it now. And God's saying, are you willing to run and endure that race, despise the shame for, for the joy that's set before you and I, just as Jesus Christ Himself did it? Philippians 2.5, have this attitude in yourself, which is also in Christ, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Listen up. Therefore, because of this humble obedience and because of his death, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus Christ despised the shame, endured the cross for the joy that was set before Him. And He is at the right hand of God Almighty right now. And He will come back in glory. And we will behold Him. And He will come back to judge this earth. And the joy that was set before Him was not only for His exaltation, but also for all of those who would put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ we too will be exalted as sons as Jesus Christ was exalted Himself. Not because of what you and I have done, but because of what Jesus has already done on the cross. And because we put our faith and trust in Him. So as this as the background to what we're talking about this morning, watch how it all falls together. We're going to talk about 11 ways that the Bible teaches that we're to earn reward. And I already read the quote to you, that it's neither selfish nor unspiritual to do the Lord's work for a motive that He Himself gives and he himself has followed. We're going to take a look this morning, and we've got 11 of them, but in no way, shape, or form are they the only 11 things that God talks about that are, are capable of earning us a heavenly reward. In fact, we'll probably do about five of them today. Five next week. Hey, let me tell you something. I mean, if you leave here today with just five that you even begin to do anything about, I guarantee you you're going to be busy. So, here's, here's one. Then Jesus said to his host in uh, Luke 14, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not, invite, do not invite your friends, your brothers, or your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Number one, you want to earn a reward from God then what you need to do is entertain people who cannot reciprocate today. Entertain people who cannot reciprocate today. I, I don't know how many times that you hear this happen. In fact, how many of you are making Christmas lists right now? Who do we buy for this year? Oh, let's show some hands. Really? The rest of you? What do, what do you do? You don't buy anybody anything? Oh, yeah, the list is done already? 
Oh, oh, good. Very good. Oh, I, you know, I hate to do it to you, but... Well, let's do it. Okay, let me ask you a question. Um, like, what's the consideration when you make up this list? So no one you like then. <laughs> so, so you you, <laughs> you don't have to like them then, as long as they're blood relatives, they're on the list. Is that what it is? What happens like you get like confused like, like you got like maybe like one or two real good friends? Does that confuse the list at all? Oh yeah. Well, it does, doesn't it? But you just got to keep that blood thing in line. Well, so it's not just blood relatives. Teachers. Oh, I like you already. Shepherd. <laughs> Teachers and shepherd leaders. But is that why you had me submit to that blood test? That's what it was. Well, if you're not related, though, I don't know. Okay, so now that, that's not the only thing on your list, then. Just not relative. Take them off the hook. How about your list? What do you got? Who you got on your list? Anybody? Just blood relatives? Yes, sir. I see that hand there. The people who expect it. Oh, oh, they go, oh, and, and it's not like uh, you didn't do that when you made your list or anything, huh? Oh, yeah. Oh, can you believe that? Oh, I can't wait to see an answer on this one because we did that too. What's he going to say? Oh, how many of you done that? Be honest now. How many have done that? People expect it. Are you going to buy something? Because they expect it, right? Okay, you're making this list and you say, okay, we've, we've got down all the blood relatives. Now we've got the people who expect it. Right? What else we got on there? <laughs> All right. All right. See? I mean, man, this, you know what? Look at how you got this wrong. I love it. You know, it's like, okay, I'll be honest. The people who got us a gift last year. Right? How many of you got that one on your list? Huh? Come on. Yeah? Isn't that true? It is true, isn't it? Okay, for Christmas cards for sure. Maybe not for the big gifts, not for anything, you know. Okay. Who sent us cards last year? Do you like save the cards last year? Oh, that's a good one. Oh, we don't send cards to anybody that doesn't send them to us because I don't think we really have their address. Probably couldn't find it or anything, but that's okay. Um, yes? I don't know what I'm waiting for. People who are going which to led give me to a forgiving, which led me. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. This sounds like family feud. Let's see, it's up there. It's 25. Oh, no, that's a good one. That's a good one. That's it. Okay. Yeah, okay. Oh, 76 answers on that. Uh, how many of you? Yeah, that's what we should be doing. We should jot this down. The people who are going to give you a gift, you better buy them something. Come on, like, we the only people who wrestle with, like, these things in life, or what? I know, do you ever, like, want to have, like, just one general assembly, and just end this whole nightmare, and say, look, <laughs> now I know why those assemblies never take place, to say, uh, uh, uh. 
Oh, you know, we wait till the day after Christmas. Everything's 50% off. We can buy twice as many gifts for whoever we want to get, and we already know who bought us the day before. And it's a great system, and it works very good. But if we all adopt that, then it goes down the tube. So I'm not going to share with you. That's what we do. Okay, so what does Jesus say to do, though? Hold on a second. What does he say? I mean, it's like the, the, the three most favorite reasons to do anything for anybody is because we owe them. Why are you going to have Joe Blow over for dinner? Well, we owe him a dinner. Really? Why? Well, they had us over. Really? So you owe him a dinner. It's like, God help our poor pinheads in our souls if we die before we're able to reconcile the we owe you list. Oh, Chuck, go back. You owe a dinner. Go back. Go back. Pay that dinner off and then come on aboard. It's like... I mean, here, you know what? Here's a challenge for you. You ready for this one? Say, okay, Jesus says, pay those who cannot repay you. Why? Because if you're doing it, because you're going to get repaid, or because you expect payment, then you're not getting any reward for that. You know what he said you'll get a reward for? If you'll do it and give to someone who cannot repay you, who will not reciprocate who cannot do anything for you. Here's a challenge for you. You're going to hate this. But I love it. You want to earn a reward from God? Do you want to develop a lifestyle that will earn you rewards at the second coming of Jesus Christ? Then why don't you this year... You got a budget... Well, no, this is a class of two people at a budget out of 200 people. <laughs> Let's assume for a moment that y'all wised up a little bit. How many of you now have budgets? Oh, yeah. This is great. Do you have a Christmas budget? Gift budget? Yes. Okay. You know what's exciting? Listen to this. Listen to this. Hang on a second. You got a Christmas, you got a Christmas gift budget. Total dollars available in the Christmas gift pool, right? Oh, the credit card runs out. Didn't see you in the old finance series here, did I? Still has his credit cards. If you remember, we collected all the credit cards the last week of the series. I know we're all like, can I just see, see it one more time? It's like, they burned their cards. It's like, just let me look at it one more time. Um, okay, you got total dollars available? Huh? Okay. How much of those total dollars are going to go to people who cannot reciprocate this year? Huh? How many? Pardon me? I said... Okay, good. Oh, that's, a, that's the next one. Oh, good. There are a lot of people who give to missionaries and others who cannot reciprocate, but they do not want to answer because they don't want to blow their reward. No, that's not what you said. That's not what you said. I know. That, that, oh, hang on. Retraction. Retraction. That is not what she said. She said because they are just too humble to do so. That's number three. We're going to get to number three here in a second. But seriously. Yeah, okay. All right, here. Here's the Christmas, the Christmas challenge. You ready? Take the, you ready to take the Christmas challenge? Uh, no, but we'll take the Pepsi one instead. Um, the Christmas challenge is this. Take the total amount of money that's available that you have for Christmas gifts this year. Okay? 
And I dare you, I'll challenge you to take a percentage of that if it means cutting yourself, if it means get your, your kids involved, your family involved, and tell them what your idea is and this is what you want to do. This is the total amount of money we had available for gifts this year. And what we decided to do based on the word of God is that we need to develop a lifestyle of giving that is to begin to help those who cannot reciprocate in any way possible here on this earth, trusting God that God will repay for every work of righteousness that we do and every dollar that we give in His name that one day somewhere downstream God will repay us for what we're doing today. There are so many, listen to me, there are so many charitable organizations this time of year that need every penny and every bit of help that they can get from God's people. It is a time of year when the hearts of people are open and sensitive to the, to the Word of God, to the spirit, quote, of Christmas and of giving and of loving. And if we as Christians don't take advantage of that, then we are remiss in what the Bible teaches. Man, there are child abuse centers, there are uh, uh, alternative uh, uh, birth centers, there are, um, I mean, name it, there are a million charities out there that you can take and take some of that and give it to them because you know they can't reciprocate. God help us to develop that. I'm going to ask you a question. How many of you in your budgets even have a budget category that goes for meeting the needs of those who can never meet and repay you for what you're doing. You sit down in 1989 and you write it down and say, Lord, we want to honor you in this one area of our life. We've got tithing and we've got another category for offering and we want to be able to, as needs arise, we want to be able to accrue dollars in that account. We're going to set them aside and as God, you place needs on our heart, we're going to be able to tap into that reserve account and be able to share it with God's people who can no way in the world reciprocate for anything that you do for them. Are you willing to do that? Is everything us first? Make it a lifestyle. Stop doing things for people that can reciprocate. Don't make Christmas lists based on if they bought us something, we'll buy them something. Or we better, you know, or, or uh, man, they got us something last year, we better get them something this year. Or Joe Blow expects that we better get it for them or they're going to be upset. And we burn the resources God has given us in trivial, contrite, stupid areas when God is saying, I give that to you, you are a steward of my funds, and my people have needs. There are people out there that can utilize that and benefit from it, and you'll never get a return back on it today, but I'm going to bless you sometime later on. And you know what? Why don't you stop playing stupid games and start doing things that are going to further my kingdom with that fund? God, help us, man. I mean, let's, how, how practical can we get? Number one. Number two. This one, you'll love this one. Matthew 10, 41 and 42, we read, Anyone who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And anyone who receives a righteous man because he is a righteous man will receive a righteous man's reward. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he is my disciple, I tell you the truth, he will certainly not lose his reward. Do you want to earn a reward by God? You want to earn a reward for something you can do today? Hey, there isn't one of us here who cannot help somebody that can't reciprocate. Let me tell you another thing. There isn't one of us here who cannot help somebody, assist, assisting people who represent the kingdom of God. There's not one of us here who cannot open our homes 
to someone who represents the kingdom of God. Missionaries were brought up. You know, God help us one day because, you know what? This is what I see happening. God's people have for years now, as I see it, and I'm not that old, but even in the short lifespan that God's given me so far, I have seen how God's people destroy men and women of God who have been called to work in ministry. I have seen how pastors are torn apart. I have seen how missionaries get the garbage that's left over in our garages to meet their needs. I have seen pastors who leave churches because people don't like the way they look, don't like the way they talk, don't like the way that they present themselves. I have seen men and women who represent the kingdom of God absolutely ripped apart over the stupidity and the trivial and the trite mannerisms of God's people. God help us. You realize the Bible says that we have a reward coming to us by assisting and helping those who represent the kingdom of God. I don't know what we're looking for. It's absolutely phenomenal. But here's, here's a, something I ran into. Here's the ideal preacher. This is the mentality that we have. The ideal preacher preaches exactly 20 minutes and then sits down. He condemns sin, but he never hurts anyone's feelings. He works from 8 in the morning till 10 at night in every type of work from preaching to taxi service. He makes 60 bucks a week, wears good clothes, buys good books regularly, and has a nice family. Drives a good car and gives $30 a week back to the church. He also stands ready to contribute to every good work that comes along. He is 26 years old and has been preaching for 30 years. He is tall and short, thin and heavy set, plain looking but extremely handsome. He has one brown eye and one blue, hair parted in the middle, left side straight and dark, the other side wavy and blonde. He has a burning desire to work with teenagers and spends all of his time with the older folks. He smiles all the time with a straight face because he has a sense of humor that keeps him seriously dedicated to his work. He makes 15 calls a day on church members, spends all his time evangelizing the unchurched and is never out of his office. He is truly a remarkable person. And he does not exist. You want to earn a reward? Man, what are you doing for missionaries? What are you doing for men and women in a, in, that are called to a, a life of serving God on a, on a full-time, quote, basis? What are you doing? What are you doing? How are you supporting their ministries? Are you encouraging them? You know, it's amazing how seldom anyone in the ministry gets a word of encouragement from anybody in the congregation. You get all the letters that question, I'm not sure exactly if you were, on, you know, if you were right on what you said in that passage. I don't know, where'd you come up with that? But I rarely ever hear anybody say that they get too many compliments in the ministry. You know what's amazing? Look at this. I just want to blow you away with this. We are all part of the body of Christ. There's no big people. There are no little people. Every one of us are gifted according to 1 Corinthians 12. We are given a gift by the Spirit of God to exercise, to be a part of the body of Christ. We're to minister to one another. And even though this is a, this is a biblical truth, even though there's some that are called to a mission field, do you realize that every dollar that you give them, every word of encouragement that you give them, 
every thought that goes behind anything that they're doing, that you and I will have an equal reward in what their work is all about. You see that? Follow it. If you will receive a prophet because he's a prophet, you'll receive a prophet's reward. If you receive a righteous man because he is righteous, you will receive a righteous man's reward. There is no ministry for any person in the sound of my voice that is small and insignificant in the kingdom of God. Everything that you and I do to further the work of those who are out in the battlefield is just as vital and critical as the person who, quote, is up front and visible. God, help us to get over that trivial attitude. Oh, they're in the front, or they're doing this, or they're doing that. No, the Bible says that all of us are members of the body of Christ, that we, are, we have an equal share in what's going on as we support them. I mean, look, at, I mean, he illustrates it. Even a cup of cold water. You say, I can't do anything. We don't have any funds. We can't do anything. Why don't you pray for them? Why don't you write them a letter? Why don't you encourage them? Why don't you just open up a room in your house to someone who's in town and, uh, and needs a place to stay? Why don't you just give them a meal? You say, well, that's so insignificant. That really doesn't... That, that, I mean, that, what does that up to? You know what I see it adding up to? I see it adding up to an equal, re equal reward and all the results that God blesses their ministry with. Think about it. Is that... Un I mean, that's incredible to me. I'll tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. He will certainly not lose his reward. Assist the people of God. You know, Jesus, he sent out his disciples one time and he said, hey, look, don't take American Express. Don't take anything. He goes, but as you go from town to town, I'll have people in every one of those places that are, be, that are ready to meet your need. 